Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Berg. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The times, they are a-changing, as tomorrow's pastor might be juggling two jobs instead of one. Is full-time pastoral ministry soon to be a thing of the past? It's a conversation we must be having in church as well as the seminary classroom, and the spin team's already priming the pump. Today we want to talk about a, a serious topic, something that I think is going to become of more relevance to the church in the West, certainly in the short to medium term. Uh, and that is the, the issue of bivocational pastoring. The idea that the era of the full-time pastor is probably, for a number of reasons, coming to an end in many churches. I first came across it a, a few years ago when I was dean at Westminster and would attend accreditation meetings, chatting to colleagues at liberal seminaries who were telling me that already within the, the liberal church circles uh, within which they operated, a bivocational ministry, the idea that a minister could be called effectively part-time while pursuing another job that actually provided their, their living wage, was becoming very commonplace. And they were even doing courses on it within the seminary curriculum now. I think it's becoming more of a reality in conservative circles now as well, as the average size of church, I think, even in the United States, is, is less than 100. It's becoming more and more difficult for a congregation to put together a, a financial package for a minister that allows him to have a livable wage. And so many ministers are going to have to look elsewhere to supplement their incomes. And that's going to bring a whole new range of expectations to the church, the eldership, and to the pastoral calling. Todd, Amy, any immediate reflections on that? Yeah, I think it's a reality that uh, churches are going to have to face. I, I know just anecdotally uh, from hearing from members or pastors of other churches uh, that, that they're struggling to meet just basic payroll commitments because of the increase of certain costs, particularly health care. I know that our costs have gone up. Um, we're, we're, we're in a position, fortunately, that we can kind of deal with it, but we're feeling it. And because the majority of churches, from what I understand, are still under 100 uh, attendees, um, these things make a huge impact. Now, it's hard because churches want to have a full-time pastor. They want to have a guy, and sometimes for good reasons, maybe sometimes for not good reasons, but they want a full-time pastor. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of full-time pastors out there that, bottom line, their church can't pay them a living wage. And so, therefore, they're going to need to start thinking about how do we allow this man to supplement his income? How do we give him actual time uh, to do that? And I think that's going to be a hard transition for a lot of churches and a lot of pastors. Well, I'd like to emphasize we're not talking here about guys living high on the hog. No. We're not talking about supplementing your income so you're pulling in 300 grand a year. Exactly. We're talking about supplementing the income so you can make health insurance costs exactly. and put bread on the table. Yep, yep. We're talking about guys who are full-time pastors who in some cases make $30,000 a year, which any more in America, considering the, the kinds of commitments people have to, to have, the kind of bills that people face, that's not really a living wage. Now, you have pastors in situations where their wives are able to work full-time, and that helps a lot. 
Um, but if a pastor, if, if a church cannot pay their pastor enough that he can even afford to have health coverage, they, they need to seriously consider perhaps a different paradigm, namely a, a, a bivocational arrangement. I have like some questions about the rise of this. I mean, healthcare is definitely one factor with the, the cost rising there and different policies. But I mean, are, are churches just um, aging out? Are there not? How come the denominations don't have the resources to help pay these pastors? Yeah. Some of that's a, a structural funding issue, Amy. I, I think in. In the Free Church of Scotland, where I was an elder for, for some years before coming to the States, there was a central fund that paid ministers' salaries. And that has, I think, since been scrapped because there were certain drawbacks in that. That was actually sustaining some churches that were unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the OPC, congregations pay the minister's salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the congregation is supposed to support the minister. And I think that's a good But for like fit. church plants, like I see a lot of bivocational pastors sure. who are planting churches. Yeah. Church planting would be different. I think there'd be the, the, the period of time when you expect a church to become sustainable and you will get funding from other churches mm-hmm. for that. Right. But I think in the long run, it is good for a congregation to, to be financially invested in their pastor. Right. I mean, some people might turn around and say, well, why aren't these guys doing it for free? Why don't they work Monday to Friday and then pastor for free at the weekend? Well, my answer to that is because the people need to know that what the man does at the weekend is important. And the way we demonstrate that in modern democratic Western society is we put money into it. <laughs> people need to give. And I think yeah. well, investing... Well, I was going to ask that question too. Are well, we giving? And, well, well, and that's that, you know, Paul, Paul makes it clear um, that uh, that you don't, you know, muzzle the ox that's treading out the grain. A a a minister who. <laughs> I'm glad uh, you think that text is clear, Todd. It is clear. It it. Yes, it is clear. Paul applies it directly to paying Absolutely. those elders that are given full time to the ministry of the gospel, <laughs> and it is very clear. And Paul was was very clear about it being a right to to the one. Um, Paul's not ambiguous about whether or not the person working full-time for the sake of the gospel is worthy of his keep. However, there were times where Paul, for certain pastoral reasons, voluntarily um, uh, gave up that right. We know he did this, for instance, at, uh, at Corinth. We know he did this at least for a time at Ephesus, where he voluntarily gave up his right uh, to mm-hmm. a salary. But he never uh, uh, backed away from the fact that it is uh, the responsibility of the church yeah. to uh, to to take care financially of those elders that are given full time to the ministry of the word. Well, my I, next question is: Are are we going to be more challenged in the future with finding qualified ministers? I mean, if are you really going to be able to invest the type of money it takes to go to a good seminary and go through an internship? And that whole process of ordination, um, if you're only going to come out making 30 grand a year and you need to find another job still. Right. I think that's a very good point, Amy. I, I do. It, it, it would be a separate podcast on seminary education, I think. But I, okay. I think the day is coming when a, a different model of seminary education needs to apply because of the debt that students carry when they, when they leave the seminary relative to the kind of money they can expect to earn when they're in the pastorate. I still believe in the Presbyterian ideal of a highly educated ministry. I think it is possible. <clears throat> I think there has to be a, something of a change in expectations for yeah. seminary students. Uh, you know, and again, it's one of the things that annoys me about the, 
the cult of the mega pastors mm -hmm. that we have in the United States in that those are the pastors that most students admire, but they're not right. the pastors most students are going to be. Right. They're going to be hammering away in the back of beyond somewhere with 50 to 100 people. And that's going to be it. It's right. going to be a long, hard haul with, with not much encouragement. And yeah. that, yeah. I think, is an expectation that needs to be drummed into students somehow fairly early. Uh, I remember sitting, having lunch, I won't mention the person's name, with a pastor a couple of years ago. And I think every second sentence he referred to himself as an ordinary pastor. This is a man earning hundreds of thousands of year, uh, a year, living in a million-dollar house. And I'm thinking to myself, whatever else you are, you're not an ordinary pastor. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm more insulted by the way you're patronizing me or the fact you think I'm stupid enough to believe what you're telling me. <laughs> but that kind of person is not an ordinary pastor. Yeah. An ordinary and I think, I think that that's a huge <clears throat> part of this because that – I mean, I can remember when I was a lot younger, um, it, it, at least in, in a lot of the circles I was in um, – uh, we we didn't have uh, the 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 amount of focus on a handful of of unusually successful pastors that it seems like we do now. And so my concern for a lot of guys um, is that their expectation is that they will be like one of these well-known guys who pulls in minimum two hundred k at his church, and in some cases more than that. And we're not talking about health, wealth, prosperity guys. We're talking about guys in the reformed world who are pulling in major money from their church. Yeah. Then an additional significant income stream from speaking fees and book fees, and then a salary from the ministry that they run on top of that. Yeah. So we've got... Now, I don't want to impugn their character, but what I am saying is that it's dangerous for a minister to be that rich, and it's dangerous for us to look at that as the goal. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that that's become more and more the norm. We look at a handful of guys who've been enormously successful financially, <clears throat> and so the idea of having less than that, yeah, uh, is seems like an uh, uh, an unreasonable sacrifice. Well, here's another question for goals. Then I mean, so you go into a church plant or an existing church that's struggling to to pay a full time pastor, and you go in by vocationally, um, should should you have goals though to to be a full time minister then at that mm -hmm. point and how long you know can you like Carl your situation yeah you your bivocational ministry kind of yeah. complements yeah and I'm, so I could see that being a long term thing but there's many pastors who have a real hard time working at Lowe's and being a pastor right or, or that kind yeah. of thing yeah. Yeah, I have a, uh, in some ways I have quite a luxurious position in my two jobs very much dovetail with each other. Right. Having said that, I took, the, I took the pastorate on at Cornerstone because the church was going out of business. And there was no way they were ever going to be able to hire somebody who could do the job that needed to be done to make the church viable. I took it on thinking initially it would be a, a temporary thing. But I think as time goes on, it becomes, it becomes more more permanent. Where I would speak personally to, and I was talking over lunch with somebody just the other week, you know, I don't get a day off now. It is very rare that I actually get a day when I do nothing. And I think there is a cumulative, I think churches where the pastors by vocational need to realize that there's 
a cumulative impact of doing the job. Uh, at the annual meeting last June, I made some comment about being very tired, and somebody emailed me straight afterwards and said, oh, well, what's happened this year? You know, have, have you not received the support that, that you were receiving in previous years? And I said, well, no, I have. It's just that I've been doing it for three years now, mm-hmm. and that there, is a, there is a cumulative impact right. uh, which I think can affect judgment, impact relationships, I think you have to be very careful that you know, people talk a lot about ministerial burnout. I'm very fortunate to pastor a church, which I enjoy pastoring, where the people are good people and there's a lot to be encouraged about. But it's still tiring because I never get to switch off. Right. And that's a, that can be a dangerous thing. It can be a dangerous right. thing for a marriage, not a, a dangerous thing for, for your humanity in general, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I can yeah. put it that way. Well, let me, let me, let me, how about this for a question? How does a, how does a bivocational pastor, and certainly we have some that are listening to this podcast, how does a bivocational pastor explain to his church, here's what I can do as a part-time employee of the church, and here's what I can't do. Here's what you can expect, but here's what you can't expect. Because I suspect that that's the real rub that, okay, yes, we'll, we'll hire a bivocational pastor, but the people in their mind who are hiring a, quote, bivocational pastor haven't done the work in their own expectations to say, therefore, we won't expect him to do yeah, yeah. X, Y, and Z. Uh, I think a good job description. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some practical things, a uh, good job description. Uh, I also think not being paid a huge amount is helpful. Mm-hmm. because it means there are no golden handcuffs and right. one could always walk away if it gets too much. Yeah. And it also allows you to say to people, look, if you want me to do X, Y, and Z, then you know, ultimately you're going to have to pay me more because I'm going to have to give up something in my other job in order to do right. that. So I think that a good job description and a reasonably low salary <laughs> can actually be a strategic and tactical advantage yeah. uh, at this point. And, and, I, and I would say it's also true that that man, that bivocational pastor, is going to have to have some, some good boundaries in his own life. If he's yeah. got another job and a wife and kids, and he's going to have to be willing because part of his heart is going to be drawn to not say yeah. no yeah. to that need or that request. He's yeah. going to have to be disciplined to say, no, I can't go to that meeting. No, yeah. I can't make those visits. Yeah. And to trust in others. I mean, I think you really have to um, have a good session of elders mm-hmm. when you're in bivocational ministry that you can trust and, and delegate to. And, and that can be a benefit, I think, right. in the yeah. ministry. And maybe yeah. just also contact with the outside world that a lot of other past, you know, mm-hmm. full-time pastors don't get um, can help you to relate to the members of your congregation right. in a fresh way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and I would just like to say to the folks from my church who are listening to this, I, I don't want to go bivocational. So <laughs> I'm I'm happy being mono vocational. You know, that, that's good, Todd, because there's nothing else you could do. <laughs> I know that. I know that. Since I have no skills, you have no skills whatsoever. Exactly. Amy, at least, that Napoleon Dynamite has nunchuck skills. You have <laughs> That's skills right. too. skills. <laughs> Boat staff skills. Yeah. 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 And I can draw a pretty good liger. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite animal. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we solved all the world's problems again. And I, mean, I really do think we just scratched the surface of 
maybe a conversation that we can continue in the future and maybe write some about as well. And so we just want to thank everyone for listening. And please uh, take a look at our website, mortificationofspin.org, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. In line with today's conversation, a few of our listeners can receive a free copy of The Pastor's Book, a comprehensive and practical guide to pastoral ministry by Ken Hughes, published by Crossway. Go to mortificationofspin.org to sign up. And come back next week when the gang talks about clerical clarifications, specifically discussing the role of the elder. It's a lot to go through when you're also working a full-time job and have a family, and it's a huge calling. So the elders are there to protect the spiritual health and safety of the congregation as a whole and of individual members of that congregation where necessary from other members. Join us then. And don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to find posts from Amy, Carl, and Todd and to enter to win The Pastor's Book by Kent Hughes. Hey, it's a dog. Say hi, Jake. <laughs> Jake. He looks bigger in video than in pictures. Unless you've shrunk, Todd. Maybe you've shrunk. <laughs> he's, he's, actually, he's actually kind of small. He's, he's only about 44 pounds. Because our dog was very quiet when we first had him. I mean, they're very nervous when you first bring him yes. in. You may find that he gets wild. Uh-huh. Well, he won't get wild. <laughs> Will you? He, he is wild. cute.